right, please have a seat. This is our uh, season of stewardship, and part of stewardship is the opportunity for you to hear from those who have been faithful in their stewardship to God and the difference it has made in their lives, hoping that it will encourage you to step out of your comfort zone and um, take that chance, take that risk of trusting God and see if he isn't faithful. Tony McPherson has our uh, stewardship testimony this morning, so y'all help me welcome him now. Well, part of, part of this is stepping out of your comfort zone while I'm there. So <laughs> please bear with me if I sound nervous because I am a little bit. When, when I was asked to give my stewardship testimony, I agreed without hesitation because God has blessed me in so many ways. Uh, I don't have any, any special magic insights or formulas about stewardship, but I have learned that generous giving starts with our own attitude and... Uh, and the way we feel about how God has, has uh, blessed us. I will say that there are times when my attitude is not that good about giving. Sometimes I don't feel that generous. Uh, but it's, a lot of times it's due to, to outside influences. You know, you hear all these bad things about the economy and things with the business sometimes don't go so well. And sometimes I just think, well, I don't know if I want to get my checkbook out this month or not. But then I have to look and remind myself, you know, my math and God's math don't compute in the same manner. God, God's math requires that I have faith and that he, he, he has plans for me that I don't have any idea what they are. Uh, when I do get anxious, there's a particular verse that I like... Uh, a lot, and uh, I use it and apply it to my life. I'm going to read it because uh, it gives me a, it gives me comfort when I get when I get to a point where I'm, I'm anxious about my finances or about it, a lot of other things. But as Philippians starts in, in uh, chapter four, and uh, it starts verse four, and there's several verses here. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ. This, uh, this verse was, was passed on to me by someone a long time ago. And uh, I have to say, it gives me comfort, not just in not just in my giving, but in my daily life a lot of times. But uh, but it's it's particularly pertinent. Like I said, when you see all the bad news about the economy and when things happen, you know that you feel like you don't have good control over. You just have to give it back to God, and uh, He will uh, He will guard our hearts and give us peace, and we won't even know why. And. Uh, and that's, I hope it gives you comfort in the same manner that it does for me.
Son, in the name of the Spirit, Lord, we come. We are gathered together to lift up your name, to call on our Savior, to fall on your grave. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Spirit, Lord, we come. We are gathered together to lift up your name, to call on our Savior, to fall on your grace. Hear the joyful sound of our offering as your saints bow down, as your people sing. We will rise with you lifted on your wings, and the world will see that our God saves, our God saves, there is hope in your name. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Spirit, Lord, we come, we gather together, lift up our
Bless this morning that we're given to you today, and just, um, you know, make, make the most of what we have. In your name we pray. Amen.
these ashes rise From the trouble that I found on this rubble on the ground I will rise Yes, I will rise Out of these ashes rise From the trouble that I found on this rubble on the ground I will rise Thanks, guys. I want to take a moment of, of personal privilege as we get started. Um, this being just a couple days after Veterans Day. I was uh, riding down 319 and saw a sign that said, uh, Harold Pinky Durham Highway. You folks know who Pinky Durham is? Let me, let me read this to you. Citation, 2nd Lieutenant Durham Artillery distinguished himself by conspicuous gallantry and intrepidity at the cost of his life above and beyond the call of duty while assigned to Battery Company 2nd Division. Lieutenant Durham was serving as a forward observer with Company D, 2nd Battalion, 28th Infantry during a battalion reconnaissance enforced mission. At approximately 10-15 hours, contact was made with an enemy force concealed in well-camouflaged positions and fortified bunkers. Second Lieutenant Durham immediately moved into an exposed position to adjust supporting artillery fire onto the insurgents. During a brief lull in the battle, he administered first aid to the wounded in spite of heavy enemy sniper fire directed toward him. Moments later, as enemy units assaulted friendly positions, he learned that Company A, bearing the brunt of the attack, had lost its forward observer. While moving to replace the wounded observer, the enemy detonated a Claymore mine, severely wounded Durham in the head and impairing his vision. In spite of the intense pain, he continued to direct the supporting artillery fire and to employ his individual weapon in support of the hard-pressed infantrymen. As the enemy pressed their attack, 2nd Lieutenant Durham called for supporting fire to be placed almost directly on top of his position. Twice the insurgents were driven back, leaving many dead and wounded. Second Lieutenant Durham was then taken to a secondary defensive position. Even in his extremely weakened condition, he continued to call artillery fire onto the enemy. He refused to seek cover and instead positioned himself in a small clearing which offered a better vantage point from which to adjust the fire. Suddenly, he was severely wounded a second time by enemy machine gun fire. As he lay on the ground near death, he saw two Viet Cong approaching, shooting defenseless wounded men. With his last effort, 2nd Lieutenant Durham shouted a warning to a nearby soldier who killed the two insurgents. 2nd Lieutenant Durham died moments later, grasping his radio handset. 2nd Lieutenant Durham's gallant actions in close combat with an enemy force are in keeping with the highest traditions of the military service and reflect great credit upon himself, his unit, and the U.S. Army. Uh, he was born in Rocky Mount, North Carolina, but he was raised in Tifton, Georgia. Graduated from high school here and uh, distinguished himself on the battlefield in Vietnam. That's a hero, friends, in Veterans Day. I think we should remember folks like that. And you should be aware of someone like that who came from Tifton, Georgia. Let's pray for our military right now. Father, we thank you for folks like Lieutenant Pinky Durham, 
who uh, gave everything he had to give on the battlefield of Vietnam. And for our heroes and heroines even now fighting in the Middle East and in other dangerous areas around the world, we pray you would bless and protect them. And we thank you in this, this Veterans Day weekend for those who are serving even now who have given all or some that we might be free and that we might be here today to worship you in this great country. Bless and watch over them all, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. <clears throat> Incidentally, uh, uh, just a little bit of trivia. I was wondering how he got the name Pinky. You know, was he a little guy or what was the, the story? The story was when he was born in Rocky Mount, North Carolina, there were a lot of boys born and they ran out of boys' blue blankets. And so they gave him a little girl's pink blanket. And ever since then, he's been called Pinky Durham. Um, we're in a preaching through the Bible series in the book of Ecclesiastes. And uh, Solomon, who wrote Ecclesiastes, is of course renowned as one of the world's wisest people who ever lived. And Solomon had the opportunity and the wherewithal to try every avenue toward happiness that man can try. And in the end, he concludes with something I think can help us. I've entitled it The Meaning of Life, and it's going to be hard for, you think it might, what's going to be hard for him to explain the meaning of life in 10 minutes? No, because Solomon has already done that for us and uh, crossed out some things that we can learn from. And if we can learn from his mistakes, then we can save ourselves a whole lot of time and not have to make the same ones ourselves. Ecclesiastes 1.12 through 2.11, and then at the end of his, his book, Chapter 12, verse 1, and then 13 and 14. Ecclesiastes, or the preacher, in chapter 1, verse 12 says, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem. I applied my mind to seek and search out wisdom, all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the sons of men to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight. What is lacking cannot be numbered. I said to myself, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. My mind has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. I applied my mind to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is but a striving after wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation. He who increases knowledge increases sorrow. So I said to myself, come now, I will make a test of pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, of pleasure, what use is it? I searched my mind how to cheer my body with wine, my mind still guiding me with wisdom, how to lay hold on folly, till I might see what was good for the sons of men to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works, I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I also had great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, man's delight. 
So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. From my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had spent in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Now turn to the end of his book, chapter 12, and see his conclusion. Verse 1 says, Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw nigh when you will say, I have no pleasure in them. And in the very last two verses, the end of the matter, all has been heard, or in the final analysis, all has been heard. Fear God. And keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Let's pray. Father, so many of us are in pursuit of things that will end up as simple vanity. And all we want is to find happiness and a purpose in life. Show us that, make it come alive for us, and help us to dedicate our lives to following it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Why are you here? And I don't mean why are you here in church, I mean why are you here on earth? Do you have a purpose? Do you have a reason for living? Solomon, thankfully, did a search for the purpose of life, for the meaning of life. He did that for us. So we don't have to do it ourselves. And when Solomon did it, he did it all the way because he had all the resources in the world at his disposal to use in that pursuit. And throughout everything he tried, Solomon concluded it is vanity. Now, the word vanity, we usually think means something like foolish pride. But that's not what it means for Solomon. Vanity meant emptiness, meaninglessness. Everything that Solomon tried came back empty. Ecclesiastes is kind of like Solomon's memoirs. It's the, it's the conclusion of his life. After he has pursued everything and found it vanity, found it meaningless, he comes down in verse 12. With his conclusion. I want us briefly in our moments together to look at where Solomon tried to find meaning. Because I want us to learn from his example. I want us to learn from his mistakes so we don't have to make the same ones ourselves. The first thing Solomon tried was to find purpose in the pursuit of knowledge. In the pursuit of knowledge. Verse 16, I have acquired, chapter 1, I have acquired great wisdom surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. My mind has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. Solomon was renowned as being one of the wisest men who ever lived. And do you remember how he got that wisdom? It goes back to 1 Kings chapter 3. The Lord came to Solomon and asked him in 1 Kings 3 verses 5 through 8, ask whatever you want. Because Solomon pleased him, David's son. Solomon um, was, was like his father David, and, and it pleased God to offer Solomon this thing. 
And so God said, ask whatever you want and I will grant it. And Solomon said, thou hast shown great and steadfast love to thy servant David, my father, because he walked before thee in faithfulness and righteousness and uprightness of heart toward thee. Thou hast kept for him this great and steadfast love and hast given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord, my God, thou hast made thy servant king in place of David, my father. Although I am but a little child, I do not know how to go out or come in. I don't know how to conduct business, Solomon saving. Thy servant is in the midst of thy people whom thou hast chosen, a great people that cannot be numbered or counted for multitude. Give thy servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern thy people, that I may discern between good and evil. Some translations render that between right and wrong. For who was able to govern this, thy great people? Solomon's request, he could have asked God for anything, and Solomon requested wisdom. And, uh, and, and Solomon's wisdom as a result of that became proverbial. It became known throughout the ancient world. And if you read the end of 1 Kings 3, you remember the story about the two women who claimed to have the same baby. It's a famous story. Uh, two women had two children. One of them died in the night and both of them claimed the one that was living. And they bring this child before Solomon and say, you decide which one of us is a mother. And Solomon says, bring me a sword and I'll divide the child in half. And, and each of you can have half the child. And one of the women said, no, don't do that. Let the other woman have the child. And Solomon said, you love this child so much. This must be your child. And he gave the child to the woman who was willing to give her child up that the baby might survive rather than being divided in half by a sword. That story circulated throughout all Israel and Solomon became known as a man of great wisdom. All Israel says, verse 28, heard of the judgment and stood in awe of the king because they perceived the wisdom of God was in him to render justice. My point is Solomon sought wisdom and knowledge and Solomon had the wisdom that only God could give. And all Israel was aware of his wisdom, his knowledge, his intelligence. He sought meaning and purpose in life in the pursuit of knowledge. Now, you and I all know someone who's gone off to college and majored in philosophy or something like that and came back and decided that they were too smart for God. They decided that God didn't really exist as a result of their studies and their learning and their knowledge. Um, I believe that believing there is no God takes more faith than believing there is a God. Because you have to, you have to give faith to something. Either God created this world in which we live, or else you have to believe it's all just coincidence, an accident, and, and, and there is no divine power leading or guiding this world. That takes a great deal of faith. We had a discipleship class recently that was called, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. And if you realize it takes a lot of faith to be an atheist because you've got to believe in something. Solomon concluded in verses 17 and 18 of, of chapter one, he said, all this is but striving after the wind. Because one thing I've learned is the more I know, the more I realize I don't know. I mean, you might learn a lot in one area, but there are thousands of areas that you know absolutely nothing about. 
And so Solomon realized that striving after knowledge, and, and, and don't, don't hear me disparage learning or education, because I'm not. I'm just saying that without God, education means nothing. Learning is attributed, it offers nothing apart from the wisdom that God has to offer. And Solomon concludes that the pursuit of wisdom alone does not provide meaning for life. So Solomon tried a second path to happiness and meaning. He tried pleasure. Verse 1 of chapter 2, come now, I will make a test of pleasure. Enjoy yourself. So Solomon sought pleasure. And he was one of the richest men in the world. He could buy anything he wanted. If he wanted to make life one big party, he could afford that. And there are a lot of folks today that want life to be just one big party. If you don't believe me, go to your high school reunion and see those people who graduated from high school a few years ago still trying to live a party life. It's sad. And I, you know, I was sitting there thinking this week, that this must be why Jersey Shores is so popular. How many of you watch Jersey Shores? Do not raise your hand. Yeah, besides Bill. No, I don't watch, you don't watch Jersey Shores. People watch Jersey Shores because it's one big party and they want to learn from Snooky how to party. So she's got something to teach them. Solomon tried partying. He tried wine. It says in in verse 3, I searched my mind how to cheer my body with wine, my body guiding with wisdom and to lay hold of folly. He tried, that was the equivalent of alcohol and and mind-altering drugs in Solomon's day. He tried lust in in verse 8. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, man's delight. You know what a concubine is? It's a woman who is your wife that you're not married to, basically. She's living with you. You know how many wives and concubines Solomon had? 700 wives, 300 concubines. That's 700 mothers-in-law. Which would be terrible if, if, unless they were like my mother-in-law, in case any of y'all tell Susan that I said that. Solomon concludes in verse 2, I said of laughter, it is mad, what use is it? What use is the pleasure? It's vanity. It is meaningless. It is emptiness apart from God. So Solomon tried knowledge. He tried pleasure. He tried a third thing, possessions. Things, wealth, greed. Look at all the things he accumulated in verses 4 through 6 of chapter 2. Great works, houses, vineyards, gardens, parks, pools. He bought slaves. He had slaves. He had herds and flocks more than any who had ever been before me in Jerusalem. He said he had everything. And he still couldn't enjoy it all. It was just vanity. It's emptiness. Verses 18 and 19. I hated all my toil in which I had toiled under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. Who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool? Yet he will be the one who's the master for all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. Solomon couldn't enjoy everything he accumulated, so he was going to leave it for his descendants. And who knew whether they would be wise or foolish? I had someone tell me one time, and I've said this before, that if you're counting on an inheritance in order to make it, then you you must not think too much of your own abilities. You're discounting yourself. 
And that's what Solomon said. You know, if I'm leaving everything in my descendants, who knows whether they'll be wise or foolish. I, I remember uh, an interesting story from the end of May. Do you, do you remember Huguette Clark? Do you know who that is? That was a woman who died May 24th of this year, one of the wealthiest women who ever lived. Her father accumulated a vast copper fortune. At one time, he was the second most wealthy man in the, in the United States. Huguette Clark, I think she had a marriage early in life that ended badly, and she removed herself from society and spent the next 50 years of her life basically in isolation. It was so sad. She had half a dozen mansions across the United States, which she never lived in. She had a penthouse, a 46-room 40, penthouse on Fifth Avenue, which she never lived in. She spent the last 20 years in a hospital in New York City. She wasn't sick, but that's just where she lived the last, she lived until she was 105. And she lived the last 20 years in a hospital room collecting dolls. She had $500 million, um, rooms all over the United States, and yet she lived a recluse, miserable and unhappy. It reminds me of this woman who, who took her own life. She said, I have everything to live with and nothing to live for. That would be so sad. And that, that was pretty much Solomon's conclusion as well. All these things don't bring me happiness. So I'm still looking. He had tried the pursuit of knowledge. He had tried pleasure. He tried possessions. Finally, thankfully, he tried a person in his relationship with God. And that's the conclusion of his search in chapter 12. Remember your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come. Verse 13, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Fear God, keep his commandments. That's what it all boils down to, a relationship with God. This is Stewardship Sunday, and I had the task of, of, of preaching on stewardship and taking the Bible and what it says about it. And I think Solomon does a better job doing that than I ever could. Solomon says the pursuit of anything apart from God is vanity. It is meaningless. It is useless. It is empty. And that included possessions. And you and I are out on a quest for possessions as, as much as we can. And we want to accumulate as much as we can. Solomon had everything. He tried it and found it lacking. We would do well to learn from his mistakes. A man was stricken with illness and left totally paralyzed. And a friend who hadn't seen him in a long time came and saw him in his condition, and, and it was just overwhelming by the physical shape he was in, but he also had a great positive attitude. And so his friend said, how have you managed to, to remain so positive in light of all that's happened to you? And the man said, I have always heard that sickness can color a personality. He said, I decided that I was going to choose those colors and make them beautiful. What colors your personality? What colors your desire, your quest in life? 
Is it knowledge? Is it pleasure? Is it possessions? Or is it a person? God through Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 10, 10, I've come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. That's what Jesus offers us, guys. He offers us abundant life. That's our quest. That's our pursuit. First of all, to have life in Jesus. And secondly, to have that life in abundance. That's what we seek. Everything else is vanity. Everything else is emptiness or meaningless. Solomon tried it. And he tried it in ways you and I can only imagine. Let's learn from him and seek God. Shall we bow together? Father, as we come today on this Stewardship Sunday, I guess trusting you with our possessions is basically a matter of faith. Either we trust you or we don't. Either we believe you can take care of us or we don't. It's kind of ironic because we trusted you to save us from our sins. But do we really trust you enough to be our Lord as well as our Savior, to guide us, to lead us, to be with us, to teach us, to show us every day of our lives? Father, forgive us for our lack of faith. Increase it. Help us test you in this area of our lives, extending our financial offering to you a little and see what happens, a little more and see what happens, a little more and see what happens. Whether you will not be faithful and open up the windows of heaven and pour out blessings upon us. We thank you for the privilege of being your stewards. Help us be good ones. In Jesus' name we pray. We're going to sing a, an invitational hymn. Provides a, a venue, an opportunity for you to make a decision public. If you have professed your faith privately, Jesus asks us to share that publicly so others can pray for you and encourage you and hold you accountable. If you've been worshiping with us, but you've never made this your church home, why not formalize that relationship so we can come alongside you and help you in your growth in Christ. If you need to come forward and pray, if you have any other decision to make, you come forward and share it with me. I'll be at the front to receive you on behalf of our church. I'll never be the same again. Let's stand and sing.